Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, I'm joined by 3MA founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, hello. And we also welcome our friend, freelance writer, John Bolding. Howdy. Finally, we have Giant Bomb's Alex Navarro. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. Uh, today, we're going to be taking a look at Mutant Year Zero, the new squad tactics RPG from the Bearded Ladies and Funcom. Uh, Alex, I saw this pop up on your Giant Bomb end of year list. It might have made mine, but I sort of imposed a rule that anything released after like the first, you know, week of December uh, last year was not going to be considered for my end of year list. I just could not handle another game, uh, particularly not a not a tactics game. But this one seemed to resonate with you, and it almost made your made, almost made your end of year list. Yeah, I think if I had had the time to get deeper into it, there's a decent chance it might have knocked Frostpunk off my number 10, but uh, I just had not played enough of it at that juncture. Um, this is a game, yeah, it is definitely one that has has kind of hooked my attention over the last couple of weeks in, in fits and starts. It is, for all intents and purposes, it is Stalker meets XCOM meets a little bit of Howard the Duck. Uh, you are playing a couple of mutants in a post-apocalyptic world, uh, and you are uh, essentially your stalkers. You are you are scouts for this last human society, uh, and you go around the zone, uh, which is just you know your your typical nuclear wasteland, uh, and you are fighting off mutants and scavenging for supplies and trying to find this thing called Eden, uh, which is you know as per most apocalyptic fiction, there is a mythical place where maybe not everything is horrible. And that is what sort of the, the myth that is kind of going around in this game. Uh, but the thing that kind of separates it from just sort of being like turn-based XCOM is that there's a, a fair amount of like real-time movements in the world and the encounters, though they eventually turn into turn-based combat, uh, there's a whole section prior to that where you can sneak up on enemies, essentially use stealth to pick off enemies one on uh, one by one to to make the encounters, uh, the the larger combat encounters, a little more manageable. Yeah, this was the aspect that uh, probably struck me the most, and I've really been enjoying it. Is this idea that before the battle is joined, because uh, because I, I think a lot of tactics games have a problem with scouting and reconnaissance. Like a go to example for me is. If you are playing XCOM carefully, the game can encourage you to play it in the most maddening way possible, right? Everyone shuffles forward like three steps, pops into Overwatch, and you just do that because there's always this risk that you'll stumble across an enemy pod and you won't be positioned for it and you'll be fighting for, from a disadvantage. So you're encouraged to play it really safely and conservatively and slow the pace of the game down. And suddenly you're spending an awful lot of turns doing stuff that isn't necessarily fun. It's not what you came to XCOM to do. I think Phantom Doctrine last year was another example of a game that, uh, you know, you, you had these like long sort of recon phases in the turn-based tactical interface. Uh, and you'd spend so much time in that, that it was very easy to play like a pretty extended session and feel like for most of it, you weren't actually having all that much fun. You were mostly uh, playing this this risk minimization uh, tactics game. And the solution here I really like because it, A, it, tr it introduces an element of almost like commandos or shadow tactics type action to, uh, to Mutant Year Zero. And also it gives this great feeling of, um, oh, what's the way, like, Picking apart enemy defenses, I guess, is is what right. you're doing in that early phase. And your reward for doing that is getting a manageable fight at the end of it. But there's all these suspenseful moments, right? Like, the game often keeps you on this balance of, if you do not kill this uh, sentry in one turn without raising a sound, they'll shout for their friends and summon an entire camp full of uh, soldiers to come fight you and you'll just get, you'll get mobbed. But you won't have enough guaranteed damage to kill him in that first round of, like, sniper fire. And what you end up praying for is, like, a crit to land. And you'll get that extra point of damage that will keep you uh, in stealth. And that's pretty exciting, though I'm not sure the game is so well balanced that, that it encourages you to um, play it as it lays, uh, as it were. A lot of times when that phase doesn't go well for me... I tend to find myself with a battle I don't feel is worth winning. Uh, it's it's so stacked against yeah. me. 
Yeah, I've, I've found that as well. Um, there's like the thing that to me is satisfying about it is just kind of that same sort of general satisfaction you get from any half decent stealth game. That notion that you are kind of, you know, you are able to sort of creep around the world. You are able to sort of, you know, take out as many of the enemies as you want before you inevitably go loud on like sort of like, you know, the 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 hardest bad guys. Um, and like that, you know, in similar the way, you know, I, I tend to play Assassin's Creed or games like that. Like it still has this very satisfying feel of like when I take out one of those those mutants that's just kind of off by themselves. I'm like, it it, it feels very good. The problem, the, maybe like the one thing that kind of negates that a little bit for me. One, the difficulty balance is does tend to spike in such ways that I have definitely saved scum my way through a lot of parts of this game, even after I felt like I, you know, whittled down the enemies to a pretty minimal number. Uh, but the other thing I found is that. The stealth phase, while good, is also just kind of a little bit repetitive as it is built mechanically here. Because inevitably you are just waiting early on for all your your characters to be able to hold silenced weapons. And once you do that, it really just becomes a matter of making sure all your people are positioned right to make sure that, you know, you have all of your guys ready to just all hit those sniper shots, those silent shots. Uh, and it just kind of becomes that for the entire stretch, at least that I've been playing it so far. Yeah, it really, uh, as much as I enjoy the stealth, it really takes the tension out of it when you figure out what the patrol patterns are, you start to pick up out the puzzle, um, you find the guy you're going to get, you put everybody in position, and once your characters are in uh, stealth cover, they're completely invisible, even if an enemy walks right next to them. So, uh, And then you just like look at Twitter on your phone while the guy finishes out his patrol pattern and comes back into the ambush spot you've picked out, and then you go back stealthing around a little bit you find a new spot you set up and you wait 30 seconds for the next guy to wander into range you've gunned him down um i i agree that it gets repetitive uh and i'm not sure that it gets any better as the game goes on um there are weird sections where you're as rob said you're like waiting for these lucky crits uh so that you can make sure you take somebody down because the enemy's health is accelerated faster than the weapon's damage that you have right so you like can't quite get enough damage on them to kill them um and some of those can be very frustrating combats right the sense that something's not worth winning would occasionally come to me and i would be like yeah i'm just gonna reload at this point i think one of the things that maybe might have improved this a little bit for me uh, is just a, a greater diversity of stealth tactics like you know it really is just reliant on those silent weapons and while there are certain mutations and abilities that the various characters, you know, gain over time. Like, it, it is kind of fun to be able to use Borman and just have him straight up, like, shoulder check a wall into a guy and knock him out before he can alert anyone else. And I wish, I, I, I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that variety and, like, ways that you could approach those fights. Yeah, I found myself really wanting, like, Borman's a, you know, 300-pound muscle creature. Why can't he tackle guys or, like, rip out their intestines or what have you right like he's a wild boar um or the the fox right there's a fox you get later um i just really wanted those uh i wanted xcom's melee xcom 2's melee combat right yeah i i think uh there are a lot of my reaction to mutant year zero as a whole is there's a lot of things here that i would like to let like that i enjoy in themselves i think mutant year zero uh to put up front i really do enjoy this game i do recommend it uh, it is a nice change of pace. A lot of what I see here and what does tend to get stale uh, doesn't put me off the game entirely, but what it does make me wonder is like about the next version of this game, right? Like, is there is there a Mutineer Zero 2 that comes along where they've built out that real-time stealth uh, layer a little more, right? And I think that that's that is a, that is a big ask. That is that is a lot to expect of a game because, uh, again, as you develop that more and more, you are turning it into something that maybe does look like a Commandos game living alongside of an XCOM style game. Effectively, two different systems, uh, sort of living side by side in this tactics game. That's a that's a lot to take that's a lot to take in and that's a lot to a lot to make feel good. These games are not easy to make, uh, but at the same time, a lot of what I do see here is a lot of cool ideas, but they do tend to encourage you to begin falling into certain 
standard operating procedures, uh, in part because the characters aren't always as differentiated as you might hope, and in part because the game relies on a lot of the same like combat and stealth dynamics uh, to be repeated in every encounter uh, until you know until you win. And really, what you've got to pass is a level check, not really a tactics check. Um, Troy, what what did you make of this game? Well, you've all pretty much said what I was going to say, so I can just go back to drinking my scotch and quietly watching Justified. Um, it's I, I re- I'm kind of with you, Rob. I, re- I do recommend the game mostly because I really do like I like the setting. I like the world it's in, even though it's not a lot of that makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, why would I want a mutated duck when I can't fly? I mean, wouldn't that be the mutant probably want to keep from a duck instead of its our docs famous for their stealth. I, I don't know. Um, it is it is a, a nicely built world. I think it's very it's it's written kind of tongue in cheek. Doesn't take itself way too seriously, which I really like. Um, but and it took me a long time to get used to the whole Wazid movement in a real time space with dragging somebody behind and having to watch the when you approach uh, enemies, you'll see a a zone of detection, which I guess stalkers can detect when they're being detected uh so you have to make sure that the person you're dragging with you doesn't walk into that and you have to make sure your sound is turned up so you can listen to the voices the ambient sound is very important so you know when to turn off your flashlight when your flashlight's on you move fast when your flashlight's off you move slow uh and some of these game map maps are actually kind of large and kind of indistinct. It's easy to get, if you have no sense of direction like I do, it's easy to get completely turned around and walk out the same exit you just came in. Uh, because I'm really bad. I'm bad in 3D in person, and I'm even worse in 3D in game spaces. And and it does get, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm only you know, six or seven hours in. Um, to pop out as far along as a lot of people. But it, the repetitiveness is starting to pick up. It is realizing, okay, and the save's coming. You figure out who the big bad is you need to take down. Um, there's a battle, I think, in the... As you start going towards Eden, yeah, if you scout it out, right, you'll say, oh, there's a medical droid you've got to take out, or otherwise it starts resurrecting bad guys. Oh, and a really bad boss monster with tons of hit points. Oh, and there's a guy with grenades you've got to kill, too. And you've got a squad of three members with not the best weapons, so it really is a lot of um, trial and error, which is good. I actually like trial and error in my games. I'm not trying to Iron Man a game about a mutant pig and a mutant duck saving the world. I'm just in this uh, for the enjoyment and the puzzle challenges to it. And it is, the stealth part is very satisfying uh, when it works at the beginning of the game. You're learning it and you're realizing, hey, I can... If I go around that way, I can pick off two people without getting detected. Or how many zone dogs can I take out before the whole pack comes after me? You know, you can make little puzzles for yourself like that, which I like quite a bit. Um, so it is a game, I, I recommend people trying it out, but I do wonder how many people are going to stick with it to the end. I wonder how much I'm going to stick with it to the end. I, I am, you know, I'd like to see the story of Eden play out, but... Can I just read that somewhere? Because the gameplay, as interesting as it is, as interesting as the setting is, there are so many things commanding people's, demanding people's attention. I wonder if Mutant Year Zero will hold a lot of that because of the repetitiveness. Now, I mean, XCOM has some of this too, and you know, I never finished XCOM two because you know it's it's clearly a very well made game, but it's also very very long, and you end up doing a lot of the same things over and over again, and I. Can, I can I, I'm I, I'm a grown up. I can put a game down when I'm finished with it. And I was kind of finished with XCOM two before the end. Mutant Zero, I might get tired of before then, but right now I'm enjoying it. But I do see all the flaws people are mentioning. Uh, I will say one thing that might be in favor of you getting around to finishing it is that unlike XCOM two, which is like you said, extraordinarily long. Uh, my understanding is that Mutant Year Zero is about twenty hours total, which is not nothing, but yeah. uh, that feels sustainable to me for what that game has has offered me thus far. And that feels like an end goal that I feel like I can hit with, because I, like you said, I am enjoying it. Flaws aside, I'm enjoying the foundation of what they have built here enough to want to kind of see it through. It's 20 hours is actually probably an ideal length for something like this. It's enough to get yourself invested in what is going on 
and to see the repetitiveness without being absolutely exhausted by it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I like the little weird quirks in the world. Like they're sending these stalkers out to collect scrap, but they don't bring the scrap back for the colony. They use it as money. So what are the stalkers out there collecting the scrap for? They're just, are they getting paid they to collect their own money? What, 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 what is, how does the economy of this zone? What is the, I found that really fascinating. So the, the tabletop game this is based on is called Mutant Year Zero. Um, and in that game, there's a huge emphasis on the arc, the community of mutants that you live in, who lives there, the politics of it, how people get along with other people, which people are in favor of the leadership, who's the leadership at the current time, right? Like the game is really based around who the mutants are as characters. And this game instead, and sort of has this overarching, like, what if Eden is real plot to it. Um, and this game instead really chooses to focus on that that sort of meta plot and not on the interesting sort of inter-species politics that, and, and problems that the mutants face. Um, and I found that really fascinating, right? Uh, this was that, sorry, this, this was something I wanted to ask you about, though, is, is that in this game, one of the things that surprised me here is that um, <clears throat> when I first saw this, I... It had I thought the idea of like the little duck guy and the little the, the little boar, the little boar dude, I had this feeling that it was going to be a little bit like oh, okay, it's like you know it's cartoon XCOM or or, or something like that. What I was not really prepared for was kind of the uh, air of melancholy and sadness that sort of like clings to a lot of these characters in, in the world. Uh, and how affecting that would end up being the fact that every time you look at um, ducks uh, with with his little taped up beak, uh, something about that like just breaks my heart right in two. Um, but <laughs> one of the things I was curious about here is at least in this in this world, ducks and Borman have this sense of alienation. They're like there are mutants in this world, but like. They're real mutants. Like they like they have that very um almost Wolverine-esque, like, who am I? Where did I come from? Like I don't belong here. This this world isn't for me. I like I'm just I feel completely out of step with this place and these people. And there's kind of an air of tragedy uh to these characters, sort of um, you know, lack of lack of community, this this feeling that they're they're alienated from their fellows. And I'm curious if that's something that's like built into the game, uh, into the source material, or if this is uh, kind of a liberty they're taking with this with this uh, PC game. No, it absolutely is. Um, the fact, the idea that the mutants are a strange community of of weirdos with these sort of X Men esque powers, um, who don't know where they came from, and they've got the elder with them, but the elder is clearly a human right? Maybe one of the last humans, it's not clear to the mutants. Um, but the elder is telling them, you know, you're the future. Uh, and then within the mutant community, you've sort of got the weirder mutants, like the ones who are clearly uplifted or mutated animals of some kind. Uh, and a huge factor in the tabletop game, at least, is the idea that none of the mutants are more than 30 years old, and none of them can have children. Um, there are no children mutants, right? And none of the mutants can reproduce. Um, and so the search for why that is, because the elder won't tell the mutants anything about where they came from, right? It just says you need to stay in the ark and you need to stay alive and you need to protect each other. It's it's a fascinating concept um, that doesn't get explored. There's a lot of interesting sort of pathos, and I make it sound super dramatic for a game about talking animals. But I think that a cool thing about Mutant Year Zero, and this game doesn't fall into the same trap, is that Fallout is the most comparable setting to me, right? It's sort of this grim but also zany apocalypse. Fallout can tend to, especially the Bethesda Fallouts, get overindulgent with the, like, look how terrible the world is. Um, Mutant is much more pathos-filled, where it's like, look how sad these people are. Yeah, there's... a. Uh... There's an element like the, the the writing I think I enjoy most in this game is the parts where the various uh, 
like you hear sometimes it's the ghoul sometimes it's like uh the the main characters kind of remarking to themselves but whenever they sort of misidentify some aspect of the the old world uh i find that that stuff is actually done in a pretty clever way like it's not just like you said it's not just sort of the 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 wacky jokey stuff of fallout like there's a like you said there's kind of a sadness as they're sort of like trying to understand the world and trying to understand how we messed it up so bad uh i think my favorite one of the ones at least that i encountered was um a bunch of ghouls in an old school Mm -hmm. uh trying to figure out what that place was and coming to the conclusion that it was a prison for uh, tiny old world people, I think that uh, they they didn't understand how to spell students, so they were they were describing students as this specific type of monster. Uh, and I, it, it's just it's a good little ambient conversation in a game that I think has a lot of them, uh, and that stuff is I think generally done very well. I, I love that they deduce from looking around the school that the monsters are there to get bigger. And become like meaner monsters uh, right, as, they, yes. as they grow. Uh, it's a great touch. By the way, that school is also where I learned Troy that you actually don't have to worry about uh, your AI controlled buddies wandering into a detection radius because I went went up on like there's the the school is like multi story and uh, one of my AI buddies like pathfinding glitched and they jumped out a window. And basically into the middle of a crowd of of ghouls and then ran along the side of the building and worked their way back up to the second floor via a different uh, ramp. And they walked through like four or five different detection zones and nobody saw anything, which uh, thank God, uh, because (laughs) if I had to worry about those bastards like setting off uh, the detection radius, uh, I think I would enjoy that stealth element a lot less than I did. So, so I don't have to, I don't have to be careful is what you're saying. You have to be careful with the character you are controlling. Well, of course. But is not, now where you where you'll get screwed is when you try to switch characters. Yeah. When yes. you're close to a detection zone, because suddenly you'll switch to a character that is in that ring, and the moment you take control of them, you are real as far as the game's detection zones go, and uh, you will like I have set off. I've tried to pull off like. Too, like way too cute ambushes in this game and that's like the number one way they fail is like me trying to slide someone in the cover at the last second and just completely whiffing you can uh you can get a little clint eastwood though and if as soon as you think you're going to get detected just start slamming the space bar to ambush them before they yeah. spot you yeah that is that is very true um regarding the overall structure of this game um, I'm curious how people found progression and the economy of it, because I definitely feel like, um, I don't know. I felt almost discouraged from like playing around with or investing in weapons that I, that weren't going to be my go-tos the rest of the game. Uh, because this does have an appropriately post-apocalyptic feeling. Finding good shit in that world is pretty rare. And where I ended up a lot of times is I would just like hoard my wealth uh, and just invest everything I had in uh, Borman's uh, pump action shotgun because that was like the best shotgun I'd found. Uh, Invest everything I had in the uh, sniper rifle I had ducks using. And any other weapon that didn't like immediately suggest itself as sort of either the ace stealth weapon or the ace like main combat weapon for my characters kind of stopped existing for me. Uh, And if you didn't upgrade these things, they weren't viable. There was no point in ever using them again. Uh, And so I I had mixed feelings because on the one hand, unlike a lot of games like this, I did worry about my resourcing pretty consistently through a lot of this campaign. On the other hand, I was worrying about it so consistently that I think I ended up playing a slightly more boring version of Mutant Year Zero than maybe they intended me to because I start, started uh, sticking to my trusty weapons and tactics uh, much more than maybe the game wanted me to. Yeah, I think you're right. The The three economies in the game are like your 
characters level up sort of rpg style and get mutation points and get new abilities and then the economy of weapon upgrades and then the third economy of like scrap which you can use to buy new weapons um correct me if i'm wrong there but it felt like uh the character progression economy wasn't important partway through the game you were like okay i got the you can only equip three of the abilities you can buy at once right but there's like two or three options for every slot for each character um but you'd get the abilities you were pretty sure you were going to use for the rest of the game and then that was it right like why spend more points on abilities you're never going to use it didn't make a lot of sense um and that felt very limiting yeah, I think the the limited skill tree is inherently something I'm cool with. Like, I don't necessarily need to spend, like, 60 hours just trying to, you know, jam-pack each character with abilities. But I agree that there was a certain point where I kind of stopped paying... At this point, I have kind of stopped paying much attention to it. I have these abilities that I like, and, you know, that's that is that is working just fine. And similarly with the weapons... Uh, yeah, you know, like every once in a while you will come across a gun that is just like demonstrably better than anything you were default equipped with. But once you have those, it doesn't seem like there is a huge variety of additional things you can get. Like whenever I go back to the store at the Ark, like there's a pipe gun there that I can buy alongside grenades and whatever else. But there isn't like a long list of like other cool guns to, you know, I could try out and invest in. It seems like I actually think to a degree, I think they kind of want you to find a weapon that you're comfortable with for each character and just kind of stick with it. But they feel maybe just kind of a need to have some diversity of armory just because that's what these games are supposed to have. Yeah, I think that's a little right. I I think I would have preferred it if the game had said okay these are the weapons that each character can equip these are the two maybe three that they'll ever be able to use here's their abilities and if all of that was a little more customized and tailored each character had their own feel and use as it is a lot of the characters are vaguely interchangeable after a certain point they're able to get different abilities um a few unique ones but a lot of them are the same yeah yeah and and some of them just have abilities that are just way more useful than a lot of their other abilities like uh i don't did anyone else feel that borman's hog rush ability was just like hands down the best thing that borman could do oh yeah that, that thing saved my ass on more than one occasion it's a it's a it's a two-turn stun like two yeah. turns you can just you can just bombard somebody if you do that, that is that will turn a battle. His other ability is like he can eat a cor. Okay, it's gross, but you can you can you can go hog wild as it were. You can you can go eat a dead body off the ground and get full hit points back. Useful, I guess. It saves you a, a med kit, but there's no way that exchange that that free health you're going to get from doing that uh, at the, the at the cost of a turn is going equal out to the damage you'll avoid taking if you knock someone you know, flat on their ass for two rounds. And so a lot of these characters, they had these skill trees and some of these skills just kind of sucked. Like, you know, Borman had, had hog rush. Uh, I just didn't, I didn't much care for ducks's, uh, what is the skull splitter ability that, that, uh, you, you take a, a hit to your, uh, your chance to, to hit, but you get a, you get a guaranteed critical, uh, it lowers your chances of hitting by like 25%, which is kind of a lot. And a lot of the weapons Docs uses don't have particularly like strong crits over their normal damage. So it, there were a lot of characters where I sort of hit this point where I had all these skill points and there was kind of the build that it felt like, you know, if you're smart, this is what you'll use for this character. And then there's some other, you know, toys you can use, but given how thin the margins are in a lot of this game and how on point you're going to have to be to win a lot of these battles, I felt like a lot of these uh, skills didn't quite earn their keep uh, in the lineup. Yeah, I agree. I have a love-hate relationship with the game's accuracy system, um, which is 25, 50, 75, yeah. 100 or nothing, right? Like, There's not a lot of fine grain detail. You're either in high cover no cover which doesn't change the chance to hit 
low cover, which is 25% or heavy cover, which is 50%. And that simplicity was really nice. Um, but I did feel confusion over like, what are the exact range bands of my weapon where it's base to hit change chance changes and things like that. Um, and I wanted that information in a game that was so, uh, not fine grain. So, so big grain, right? Like, yeah. Uh, one of the, uh, so one of the things that I think is going to really determine whether or not you bounce off this game or, or, or stick with it, um, you know, how you end up feeling about this specific story and spending time in this world. One of the things that did catch me off guard here is I fundamentally think this is a really pretty game. Like it's, uh, it reminds me a lot of um, like Simon Stallenhog's uh, artwork. You know, are you familiar with these? Funny you should say that. Oh, Really? Um, is there a connection there? So there is a connection there. So Simon Stallenhawk did do work for the mutant tabletop role-playing game ah. um, and the role-playing game based on his work, uh, which his works, which is called uh, tales from the loop. And the second one, um, which is something flood. Um, those two role-playing games are published by free league who publish mutant year zero. So there's a direct connection there. Okay. Yeah. I definitely thought the, um, the weird, creepy, broken toy aesthetic that defines a lot of the ancient technology that you find in this game seemed to bear his mark. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was a really pretty, uh, really eerie game. It is it, it is a spooky, like post-apocalyptic world, but it has kind of a a wild beauty uh, that that makes it kind of appealing to to go out and explore. And uh, it, it does have a good sense of escalating stakes and pushing into like the real unknown where there is genuinely scary stuff uh, out there. And you begin uncut, you begin finding things that just are kind of beyond your experience. Like the first time you come to, uh, you know, a place that's just packed with basically rogue uh, police robots uh that that are that are basically aggressively patrolling is kind of creepy and kind of weird uh the the fact that uh you know you go from encountering lone basically wild dogs in the wilderness to like uh mother's own dogs uh which basically just unleash these packs on you uh it it, it does end up feeling like a uh a a cool world and an actual journey which is a a hard thing to pull off in, in a lot of games like this. The the atmosphere is just outstanding, and a lot of that has to do with the writing as well as the artwork, in that it does feel you are persuaded that you're these guys you're leading, they are convinced they're going to the ends of the earth. That, you know, wherever this Eden is, they're gonna have to go through a whole lot of crap to be to, to get there. And you know, when you start the game, it doesn't feel all that threatening, but even as you progress, it's slightly more dangerous, slightly more dangerous. You, you do start to clue in that the fear that your stalkers have is genuine. Uh, as beautiful as the world is, it's wilderness and it's forest. And even the ruins have a bit of a bit of a beauty to them. You know, it's the old uh, Albert Speer idea that ruins have a certain beauty and you can tell the glory of a civilization by its wreckage. And there's something to that in uh, wrecked playgrounds or campsites and seeing the detritus of a uh, destroyed civilization. And even if it's just background and your characters aren't commenting on it, there's this atmosphere that there was something amazing beforehand that had destroyed itself. And then you have the writing on top of that, like the uh, ambient discussions that Alex mentioned. These things to build a very convincing and interesting place that I like going back to. I want to explore every single corner, not just to get every little bit of scrap, but to see what little things I can find. Yeah, I'm 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 100% with you on that. Um you know, I I'm I am a big sucker for ruined places, both real and imagined. Uh I I sort of love like you said the the kind of, you know, the nature taking over uh what was once a society, once once, you know, architecture kind of aesthetic. Uh, one of the things that has kept me coming back to the Fallout games, despite the fact that every time I remember that I actually don't like the Fallout games at all, <laughs> is the promise of that. 
But I also think that they rarely are able to actually extract the beauty from that kind of scenery in those games. Right. And the the thing, the work they have done on Mutant Year Zero to kind of make it a little bit kitschy, a little bit comic-y, but also like kind of, you know, kind of beautiful and peaceful. And also just like good level design on top of that. You know, the way they kind of use, uh, you know, high ground and low ground and kind of build out the spaces where you can plan your sort of combat uh, strategies. I think all that stuff is really well done. And, you know, the story itself, I, you know, it, like I, I was making some comments about how it uses a lot of, you know, post-apocalyptic boilerplate. Uh, but I do think that the, the characters uh, are pretty compelling. I think that the, you know, the journey that, that kind of tread road as it is, is interesting. And I think a big part of that actually is the voice acting, too. Um, I'm not familiar with who the actors are in this game, but I think especially the actors for for Borman and du and and Ducks are they have a good kind of rapport with each other, and it feels pretty natural. The guy who plays Borman has an especially kind of like Richard Lynch de delivery that I think kind of works. Uh, it's just like it, the production aspect of the game I think is incredibly well done. Yeah, I completely agree. The thing that kept me thinking about this game was absolutely that there is, I think. Overall, like the writing in this game is better than any writing that's ever been done for an XCOM game, right? Sure. And I've loved seeing that in a tactics game. And it's been a while since I've really felt that in a tactics game. And it's really satisfying to explore this world, see the things in it, and then realize that it's like all it's all functional. It's all interesting level design that you can have a cool fight in. Um, like that school. Yeah, uh, area is absolutely sort of just really satisfyingly designed, right? You get to move through it and see the enemies and how they do stuff. And there are several interesting angles to take on any one of the fights from. And that's really, really satisfying to tangle with once you start to like pick at that knot and see, oh, I can get to the second floor this way. And if I can get to the second floor, I can ambush these two guys from that direction um, and then you see like little children's drawings on the walls. There's um, now while I think the stealth aspect of the game does tend to get repetitive, I do think once the bullets start to fly, uh, I do think the game tends to force me. I, I tend to spend a lot of the game out of my comfort zone. Uh, these engagements often feel less controlled than they do in XCOM. Again, in XCOM, there are certain things you just learn to do to make combat as predictable as possible. You're kind of playing it to, uh, you know... XCOM is kind of a game that encourages you to play for position, I guess, is the, is, is the, cha is the chess analogy. And in this, even though the to-hit chances are way uh, more coarse-grained than in XCOM and are, and are much more predictable... Um, the weird thing, the, the sort of the wrinkle in this is it feels like different types of enemies fight so completely differently and relate to the map so differently that you end up being forced to tackle the map uh, in really radically different ways based on what you are facing. Enemy snipers will just post up. They will just, they will just run to a place with a decent field of fire and sit there and just like make you come to them and just take pot shots at you from across that field. Uh, you know, their pyros will never run out of Molotov cocktails. They will just keep mortaring you uh, with these fireballs. And the other thing that this game sort of has this feeling of is none of the weapons feel all that good or effective. They're like, everything feels really like, rugged but has that sort of mad maxian shittiness right that like this is sort of a cobbled together uh that's, that's a phrase mad yep. maxian shittiness yeah but you know what i mean right like none yeah of, no it oh, absolutely describes it none of these guns feel like you like none of these guns feel like uh you'd ever find them in a destiny right from like the omelon armory or whatever all of these things feel just like hacked together in somebody's workshop and that Feels that way in that combat. Nothing ever has a big enough magazine. You're constantly running out of ammunition. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you've got a shotgun that has a ridiculous, like, knockback effect, uh, which can be pretty crucial 
uh, in places. And so there's lots of, there's lots of times in these battles where like, you know, I am constantly having people like running to cover and realizing like, wait, all my weapons are out of ammunition. And so you get that ridiculous, almost like police squad thing where two guys are trying to kill each other from around the corner. But first they got to like wrestle with the, their, their, their hand loading their weapons, trying to trying to get the shot off before the other one does. And I kind of like that, that scrappy, not quite controlled, certainly not quite by the book uh, feeling that a lot of the combat in this game has. Yeah, it has a real a nice pure roughness to it. I mean, you're not picking up anything super shiny. You're not going to get your plus six Excalibur in this game. I mean, the whole idea is you're, you're picking up gun scraps and then somebody back at the Ark is stapling them on with duct tape and God knows what. Um, so everything about it feels rough. The whole reload sequence is just such a pain in the ass. Like in, in the very early game, Ducks has this crappy little crossbow, and it's like ah, he can't run and shoot. He can he can if he if he reloads, he can't move because once he moves, he's kind of done. So he wants to take a second shot. He's got to sit there and wait until he's going to be in the clear. Uh, the reloading is just such a pain, and that's great. I, I, I often do not like it because the reloading feels dangerous. In XCOM, it never feels like it's a dangerous thing you have to do because you're often in cover and you're protected by people in Overwatch. Uh, your squads are big enough yeah. that there's always going to be somebody with your back. When you're dealing with two or three people, taking the choice to reload and also moving for a better position is a great risk. Um, cause you're going to be outnumbered in almost all of the battles. And if you chose your approach wrong, you came out of stealth too soon, or you missed a guy on point, that very choice of when to reload instead of when to retreat and then reload, um, is a really dramatic and powerfully dramatic in the sense of it feels like a theatrical choice you are making in this battle. Made more so by the fact that, um, your powers aren't at will. They all have to be recharged yeah. by notching kills, which yeah. I think is maybe my favorite decision in this game. Uh, rather than just doing a straight cooldown, because a cooldown you can always abuse, right? You can, you can always mm -hmm. sort of cheese a level and wait for the timer to run down and then use your power again. Uh, in this, when you decide to have Borman hog rush somebody, or when you decide to have Ducks uh, sprout his little moth wings and take to the skies for significantly increased uh, hit chances, when you do that, it's like this is kind of like this is you playing that card probably for this whole engagement. This is the time you get to do that. Is this is this the moment you want you, you want you want to pull that? Uh, and that gives these decisions a certain weight, and it often means that toward the end of a fight. Um, I'll either be really down to my last possible resources, right? Nobody has any powers left. Uh, everyone is sort of beat, beat to hell. Or alternately, I will have that clutch uh, recharge hit up at the exact moment I need it where, you know, Borman is caught in the open and we notch the kill he needs to recharge his uh, hog rush ability. And he just like devastates some guy behind a tree, and he's the hero. This game generates a lot of moments like that via the system. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many satisfying interactions to be had where you're doing things like, oh, okay, this turn I can use both of my run and guns, and I can take out two people, and I can get both run and guns back. Right? Those really awesome, satisfying moments are baked into that kill based recharge and i am ready to see that get explored further by someone mechanically like that is a, a brilliant little system i like it a lot and i want to see more of it because it keeps the pace of the battle up right there's no xcom ask okay i'm just gonna fully retreat this turn and get everyone into heavy cover because you know i'll seed some position but that way some stuff's going to come off of uh, cool down sooner and then i'll be good to go again no you you know you're not going to get your abilities back unless you push harder yeah it's it's choices like that that i i agree i there are mo those are the sorts of things that i think i admire most about the game uh it's also it's just such an easy thing to get wrong uh you know i think 
the, these games very much live and die by kind of the rhythm of their combat and the feel of them. Like the thing you described about having to constantly manage reloads and whatnot, like that would suck in a game that didn't build its combat encounters in such a way to make that a, a key part of sort of the rhythm of the experience. One of the things I hated about Phantom Doctrine you mentioned earlier is that all those combat encounters just felt draggy and and unpleasant and just never had like a good feel or a flow to them. But, you know, it, it, repetitive as the stealth elements can be, like you said, once you kind of get into the turn-based meat of it, the risk and the sort of the, the, the feel of the action and the way that you apply the abilities, I think all that stuff comes together in just an incredibly satisfying way. Yeah, and there are certain... <clears throat> there are things in this game that are genuinely uh, scary, not in a horror sense, but, like, when you're in a battle... And you realize there was a med bot that you hadn't scouted. You hear the worst. You hear the the little friendly, you know, kind of diffident. Oh, you appear to be injured. I'll be right there to help you with that. And you see this truly nightmarish looking medical robot carrying a baseball bat and like got a, I don't know, some sort of weird like bone white skull. You see this thing come streaking across uh, the battlefield just made of like hit points and armor and it starts running over to the guys you had sort of painstakingly chunked down and like uh you know find like killed and he starts rezzing them uh and immediately okay well this entire battle just got recast because now i can't just fight this battle the 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 med bot will it's it's refilling uh, it's it, it's refilling. It's the it's the uh, sand in the sieve. Uh, I will never be able to refill uh, the damage on this on this enemy squad as long as that thing is up. And so immediately, the battle sort of tilts and it becomes this hunt to kill that damn thing. Positioning be damned. Everyone needs to break cover and go out get into a kill kill range on that med bot because if you don't bring it down within a turn or two, uh, you are going to just be pecked to death. Uh, and that is a, again, that that is a pretty cool feeling this, this game gives you. I am less enamored of um, both the, the, the enemies that tend to spawn ads, um, the uh, zone dog. The shaman. The shaman and the zone dog mother. Uh, yeah, they both just bring enemies onto the map. Significant numbers of enemies. And this is a game where, like, again, the margins are already thin. If three, four more enemies pop up into the middle of the battle, uh, this battle just got a lot more expensive for you to win. Like, you are, like, even if you win it, uh, you will probably have burned through so much health that your, uh, sort of squad's economy may be ruined, uh, by the victory. And so, are you some of your precious, irreplaceable grenades? Yeah, I I spend a lot of money uh, trying to replace grenades when I'm when I'm back at the arc. Uh, but yeah, I do go through them uh, like like packs of cigarettes. Um, but yeah, it's the, those characters. I I like the idea, but they shift the odds so drastically that those characters are probably the things that make me the most save scummy in the entire game. When I see those things, like. Killing them before they can sound their alarm, before they can summon their ads. Uh, that is kind of what's going to determine whether this is a save I continue or not. Yeah, that's fair. I, I was definitely, the second those shamans started showing up on the map, that was when I realized that uh, I needed to make a trip back to the Ark to make sure all my guys were upgraded and we could take that dude out beforehand because I was just beating my head against that for a while, just trying to understand the strategy of what I was doing wrong and then realizing, oh no, the entire battle just flows through this dude. I, that's the only thing that's going to matter. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and, and that's maybe the thing that, so I have not uh, beaten the game where, where I'm at I have completed what I think probably marks the the first act of the game. I've gotten through the House of Bones. I've done some other side missions, seen some cool stuff. But each time I go out now, each new zone I encounter, it feels like things are getting significantly tougher every single step I take. 
and the battles are turning into much uh, more vicious grinds. And not, it's not necessarily bad, but it's getting um, tough and punishing in a way that kind of belies the slightly breezier tactics game that Mutant Year Zero appeared to be in my first like five, six hours with it. Uh, and it's starting to turn into a very classic like 90s PC experience where just every level, it's what fresh hell is this? I don't know. Anyone else uh, have difficulty spike? Uh, I did somewhat, um, but to be fair to the game, I think um, I really liked some of the difficulty spike sections in that yeah. I was like, Oh, this is fucking hard again now. Oh, great. Like I really enjoyed that. Um, the first time that I encountered a shaman and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to try and stealth take that guy out or like go after him first. I think I'll go after this. hunter. <laughs> I know hunters are dangerous. And then the shaman pulls three guys out of his literally his asshole, like just <laughs> nowhere. They come out of nowhere and I'm horrified and I decide to roll with it and I play through that fight and it's really hard. Um, I got a lot of satisfaction over those parts of this game. And there is a difficulty setting that's sort of the default save scum setting, right? Like they yeah. give you all your health back after battles. Um, and so you get to save all your little precious med kits for actual in combat emergencies. Yeah. So I, I don't know that I agree with some of the difficulty spike comments I've seen in that. I was happy to see them. I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for that moment in say Xenonauts when you're like I am doing great, and then the new category of enemy shows up and wipes the floor with your squad of, squad of veterans. Um, and I liked that they managed to build that traditional experience mm -hmm. of the of the tactical XCOM style game into an RPG. Yeah, and I will say that I I, I actually kind of appreciated. It's a small thing, but you know XCOM doesn't necessarily do it is that you can change difficulty as the, as it goes along. Like, you are able to shift it back and forth throughout the campaign as opposed to having to start over a new one on a separate difficulty if you were just banging your head against it. Uh, a small thing, but a thing I always appreciate. One thing I, I should mention here, and this is, this is where playing this game just gets a little bit weird. You can sneak past some of the difficulty spikes. Um, did any of you do this? Yeah, I think you're intended to in, in particular yeah. sections, right? But you also do need that XP. Right. And that's the weird thing about, like, you need to know when you can take that fight and when you need to go back to his own and, like, harvest up that XP that you left behind. And so this is another weird thing is, like, sometimes, like, basically the game is try it sets this uh, judgment call in front of you, which isn't a bad one. It's just unusual because so few games do this. Uh, perfect example is that very first... Um, shaman fight. Uh, it's early in the game. It's right outside the uh, what is the the tunnel of sadness or whatever caves of That's fear. That's the one, yeah. The cave of fear. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I tried that battle with my squad like four or five times, and just I did not have enough damage. Like I could not put down the damage, and I couldn't sustain the incoming damage to win it in any configuration. Eventually. Something would go wrong. Somebody be, somebody get hit, I'd lose. Uh, and so I sneak past it. And I think I sneak through like another zone or two, uh, basically just picking off ra enemy randos, uh, scouts and such. And eventually I hit a point where I really just couldn't progress. Like it was clear that I was way uh, outside my league and it was time to go back to the Ark and, and stock up on gear. But it is a it is a weird thing where you kind of have to make this call as to whether are you meant to fight this battle right now? It's the first time you've seen these enemies. Are they meant to be fightable right now? Or are they just an obstacle for you to bypass while you get to the next zone, soak up some lower hanging fruit uh, on the old XP tree and then come back later and get that. And that's another cool, weird element to this game. Like, XCOM sure as hell don't work this way. You, you don't, you know, if you, if you pass on a fight in an XCOM game or any number of games that XCOM has inspired, uh, you're going to be behind the power curve. Once you miss one fight, you know, it's just going to keep getting worse. This game kind of encourages you to, um, I don't know, play in a way that is thematically consistent with your characters. Your scouts, your stalkers, you're not really meant to take these fights until you know you can win them. A question. 
Had you done the fight uh, in the helicopter area prior to getting to that fight? No. So when I got to the helicopter area, that was one of the most satisfying fights I've had in the game because I came after clearing out the uh, fight at the ferry, after clearing out the camp in the Tunnel of Fear, the Cave of Fear, and after finally taking down the shaman in his camp, I was like, oh, let me go explore this uh, crashed helicopter zone. And I just cleaned house in that zone. Like it was, <laughs> it was great. Now, clearly I did recognize in retrospect, I was probably meant to go fight these guys and pick up some slightly easier XP here uh, that enabled me to press through. Nevertheless, it was pretty nice encountering these guys when I had like two full levels on them and a shitload of explosives. That was, that was, a, that was a good fight. That was a good day to be a stalker. Yeah, I bet that was incredibly satisfying. Uh, the reason I ask is because I think sometimes the game's attempt at sort of kind of an open structure uh, maybe goes a little bit against some of what the designers are kind of intending for players to actually do, because that helicopter area is where you get your third silenced weapon. Like, that's where you get the nail gun. And that is what ena enabled me to be able to actually take down some of those higher level enemies through stealth before kind of engaging in, in more protracted firefights. Uh, so trying to go up against that shaman and going up against the rest of the enemies in that kind of that area in the entrance to the to the, the cave, uh, I realized that, like, I was making that way harder for myself by not having explored this other area that was technically optional, but seemed very designed for players to go to before that other fight. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I think it's sort of laid out that way. But I think at the same time, maybe Alex and I are both wrong because Rob seems to have gotten on just fine without it, which it says something for the game as a whole. Yeah, it does, I think. It, it does. And not every, like, there is something nice about encountering a game that is not so tuned and uh, pinned down as to what the exact user experience should be, what the exact path through the game needs to be. Uh, to have a game that feels a little bit loose and sometimes leaves, leaves me wondering, like, did I break this a little bit? Did I miss something? Right. Am I doing this wrong? Uh, and it's uncomfortable because so few games operate that way anymore, but it's kind of cool to encounter a game like that in 2019 that isn't sort of locked down in that way. So, uh, I don't know, I think where, where I come down to Mutant Year Zero is I'm definitely going to continue playing it. Uh, I, I really enjoy the game. I think it's a good game on its own merits. It's also got me curious as hell uh what the next one would look like I, and really hoping that we get another mutineer zero because I, I love this world i i really like the direction this game is pointing uh so for me this is a you know a pretty strong recommendation if you, if you're into tactics games uh i don't know where, where, where are y'all at with this uh when all said and done yeah i think it's a game people should check out definitely um, like I'm not as far along as the rest of you, but I, I, I've, I've praised the setting. And if you've got, you know, the money to spare for it, um, and you are interested in tactics and interesting writing, I do recommend picking it up. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on the recommend end of things as well. And I will say that, uh, if you are looking to ch try it at a slightly lower price, uh, it is free on Xbox Game Pass right now. Uh, so that was how I ended up trying it. And, uh, that, that worked out very nicely for me. Yeah, oh, it is. It is right. free there right now, and it's it's only I think thirty five US. It's really a pretty reasonable price for the game experience. It is for how high touch the general environments are, and for the quality of sort of the writing and story, sparse though it is, uh, I totally recommend it. Nobody has money in January, John. Everyone <laughs> spent their money last month. Jokes, jokes on you. I don't know. I was up late last night, and I went. I opened uh, the Criterion website, and then I. I was just so out of control. I went to Kino video video. What uh, are you doing? Yeah, I was, I was out there uh, just getting up to getting up to all kinds of mischief. So I'm pretty broke now too, but it's a, uh, it's a good game. And if you should, if you got Xbox game pass and that's a pretty good deal, I've been surprised at, at, at what a good offer that is. Um, this is a game that feels like it was designed with, uh, with, a, with a controller in mind. There's a lot of places where you can tell the PC is, 
more mimicking a controller scheme uh, than the other way around. So don't worry about this being something that's easier to play because it's a tactics game on PC. Uh, in a lot of ways, I think the Xbox One experience, you know, could be as good or better. Uh, anyway, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced, as always, by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Troy, John, and Alex, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.